0: Well, one of my favorite uh, parts of Scripture is in Revelation. It's an early part there, Revelation 4, 5, 6. There's a a scene in the throne room of heaven where uh, God is on the throne. And God is all-encompassing, all-knowing, all-powerful. God can um, do anything God pleases. And... The world, the saints, are worshipping God. And they are from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language. That's one of my favorite scenes in all of Scripture, because that's like the ideal church. You know, just split, like we just, we're not even speaking the same languages, but we're worshipping the same God. And um, that's how I feel about Mother's Day, in a sense. Is because we're not all speaking the same language on Mother's Day. We're not for me to get up here and say, man, Mother's Day is great because I have a great mother is uh, is is blind and deaf to the pain and um, life of others. Um, So that is uh, this is what we are today. And there's no there's no easy way to do a Mother's Day sermon. That's why I don't do them. But. There's no easy way to do it because everyone has a different angle when it comes to mothers. Everyone is speaking a same, a different language. They're from a different place. And so wherever you are, and I thought about putting this on Facebook, this little first little tag. Um, because it people don't come to church on Mother's Day. Because it's too painful. Because they're going to go and they're going to hear about moms. And maybe they aren't one. Maybe they wanted to be. And they couldn't. Um, Maybe they lost theirs. Or maybe... I just want you to know that today, no matter who your mom was, how great and how fantastic, how present and how gone, God loves you unconditionally. And I... I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful for my mom. But I'm also thankful more so that we can be a group of people from all nations, all tribes, all languages, all experiences. And we come together today not to celebrate moms. But we come together today to celebrate God and what God has done. Um, So I'm. I, I, I'm thankful for you, for my church, um, and you are our family. And that's a big deal to us. Uh, we're going to talk about a, a complicated, not complicated, but a difficult subject, um, nonetheless, this morning. Um, we are going to be in Daniel, and if you've read Daniel, or maybe you read all of it this week, or you just read the parts that they'd put in the story, Daniel is weird. Um, Daniel, at least the uh, past chapter four um, into chapter five and throughout the rest of the book, Daniel is a certain type of literary genre that we do not have today. Like we don't have a, 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 a type of this type of genre. You know, whenever they do poetry, we know what poetry is, you know, and everyone's like, oh, I can't stand poetry. Let's turn on some music. Um, but. We know what poetry is. We know what um, we know what a letter is. We know wisdom. We know sayings. We know what a, 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 fic- a fiction or nonfiction story is. We know about parables. But this particular type of li- of literature is tough to process, and a lot of people have, and most of them have failed. And I'm not going to venture in to that particular. Um, Literature—that's more of a class than a sermon. But I do want to look at uh, at three guys, three guys that I find near and dear to my heart: Han- Hananiah—that just says Hannah, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are three friends of David. You don't know them by these names; you know them by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are their Hebrew names. These are the names they left Israel with. But, just like in... I grew up in Dequeen. And in De Queen, uh, when I was in 8th or ninth grade, um, Dequeen became a small Hispanic community in southwestern Arkansas. And there was a lot of non-Spanish speaking... Uh, teachers in in our school district who once we we, um, received, and it was a blessing, this influx of people from Mexico or people, just Hispanic people who started moving in, Um, once we received that, these teachers who were used to Fred Jones, call and roll, they weren't used to Fernando, you know, just every name had a question mark after it. Can we call you... Fred, You know, that's how they kind of processed it. And this is what they did with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They didn't want to call it. That's what, those are weird names for them. They're peculiar to them. So they said, we're going to give you good Babylonian names. Like Nebuchadnezzar. So they called him Shadrach, Meshach. And Abednego. Abednego and Meshach and Shadrach had a um, alliance with Daniel. That they were going to continue to follow the law. Especially the dietary laws of, of Israel. Even while they were in Babylon. And they were going to commit to God. While they were not in God's land. And that is hard to do. Most... Countries aren't Christian. It's hard to baptize a country, isn't it? Most power structures don't end up really serving the greater good of God. And they can't be trusted to do so. We serve God with community, with church. And so they, as their small little community... Daniel, who they renamed um, Belshazzar, which that didn't stick. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego um, sticks because it sounds like three names that Ray Stevens made up in a song. It does, doesn't it? It sticks. We like it. Belshazzar, not so much. We give that Daniel. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were... um, they got in trouble um, because Nebuchadnezzar had built an, a big altar that he, out of all sorts of things, you know, he, he made it fantastic. People would come and they'd say, that is fantastic. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar, who, and you'll find this out in just a second, is a lunatic. Um Earlier in Daniel, he calls his uh, he has a dream that disturbs him, which you maybe you do that, too, sometimes. Um, And you you he woke up and he said, what does this dream mean? So he goes to his smart guys in the place and he says, "Uh, what? What did my dream mean? And they said, oh, tell us about it. He goes, if I tell you about it, you're just going to make something up. You tell me a dream. Or. I'm gonna cut you into tiny pieces. They said, ah, what? No. That's impossible. He's like, cut him into tiny pieces. <laughs> like he's he's crazy. He's a lunatic. Um even, we'll find out later at the end of the story, and I don't think I have it on the slides, but at the end of the story, whenever he's praising God, he said, No one should speak against this God. Or I'll cut them into tiny pieces. He really wants to cut people into tiny pieces. So he builds this big uh, altar. And he has them play a bunch of music. And he wants everyone to bow down to the structure that he has created. Uh, If you bow down to the structure I have created, you are essentially bowing down by proxy to me. He wants them to worship the thing that he has built. And so everyone, all of them, mainly it's just the officials, it's not the whole nation, but all the officials, whenever they were in um, the, the courts there, whenever all the music played, everyone then had to turn, and they had to bow down to this. And if you didn't, he built a furnace, um, like a brick oven for people. And he was going to throw you in there, if you didn't bow down. Just because, you know, he needed some lunacy to threaten people with. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego just didn't do it. And you probably could get away with that, actually, because no one was watching. They, they played it, and everyone bowed down, and then there you, there you go. You, you did it, and then you went about your business. But some people came to Nebuchadnezzar and said, Hey, those Jewish guys aren't doing what you said they were going to. And Nebuchadnezzar is upset. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought in. So they brought those men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods and you do not worship the golden statue that I have set up? Maybe you wonder this too, but were they always standing in that order? I don't. It's not alphabetical. It's reverse. I don't get it. That was that was for free. Now, if you are ready, he said, "Is it true that you're not worshiping this idol I've set up?" But if you are ready to hear the sound of the horn pipe, and he, he lists these out a bunch. So it seems like he's kind of obsessed with them. The horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the drum, the entire musical ensemble to fall down and worship the statue that I have made well and good. When the music plays, you better salute. You better bow down. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you on this matter. If our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the the furnace of blazing fire, and out of your hand, O king, let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods. And we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Do you notice what they think about God? Because I think it might be just a hair off from what we think about God. When we... Think about God sometimes. We call God. I don't mean This is a very church term. Sovereign. Have you heard this term? Sovereign. Spelled just like it sounds. And it is. It, it means that God is all powerful. And scripture attests to the fact that God is all powerful. I ran uh, my first 5K as a grown-up um, uh, about a week ago, and before we re- uh, ran it, my uh, my uh, Macy said, "Daddy, you're gonna win the 5K," and I was like, "Oh, that's so sweet. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not gonna win it. I was beaten." Well, actually, these are the two of the men that came in first, like second and third in the men's division by a 65 year old man and a 63 year old man. They ran like seven minute miles for three miles. They ran it in 21 minutes. That's hard to do. But she thought she said, but daddy, you're fast. I said, well. Yeah, but. That doesn't mean that I'm going to do all that you expect of me. Sometimes when we say God is all powerful, what we think is God will do whatever I ask of him. And that if I pray and pray enough and pray with a lot of faith, Then God will do and can do whatever I ask. And we talk about the will of God as if it has become God's interest in my will instead of my interest in His. Is it God's will for you to go to college? If so, what college does God will you to? Is it God's will for you to buy that house or that truck or for you to have shrimp for lunch? What is it God's will? And when we do that, when we speak like that, uh, we back God into a corner of our own making. And we keep God pinned in. God's will involves the Messiah. It involves God's King, Jesus. It involves conquering of death, forgiveness of sins. The church being the vehicle through which um, God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. But a lot of times our prayer is... Your will be done on earth as we want it done on earth. God has bigger plans than your reality. God has bigger things going on than, frankly, our health. My children are probably going to grow up and marry someone I hate. Not because. Nolan, Nolan's fine. I'm just going to high five him and say nailed it and we're going to move on. But. <laughs> the girls I hate those guys. For a little bit. Because. That's the way it's supposed to happen. But we can pray all we want that our children turn out and, 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 and engage with and marry people that are a blessing to them. But in the end, it is their choice. It is their choice. And God is not going to grab their, their arms and steer them in the right direction. God's will is that we worship and follow God wherever we go, whoever we commit to in life, And that we are we glorify God in that process. Notice what they said. They said they didn't say, oh, you just watch it. God's going to save us. God does. You read the rest of the story. God does save them. There's another person in there. Don't know. An angel. A lot of people have said that's Jesus. That's weird. Um, I don't see where the Bible says that. But there's... God sends somebody and they are protected. But they know that there's another option. That they will not get what they want. They will not be able... To be blessed in the way that is possible. God may let them die. Which turns out, they eventually did. Just not here. But they knew, they knew that there's another option. If God does not save us, God's still God anyway. If God does not heal, God is still God. Sovereignty is not that God has his hand and is making every situation uh, happen. Sometimes we think about that. We th- we think, oh well, if God is all powerful, then God must be controlling everything, and that's just not, it seems, how it works. There, it is consistent throughout scripture that God wants a thing and doesn't get it. God wanted the people of Israel to come up out of Egypt and be a kingdom of priests to all the world. And within like they were like, man, it's been 12 chapters. Let's worship an idol. They, they didn't, they didn't have watches. But God wanted the whole nation of Israel to be the priest to all of the world. And when it didn't look like they were cut out for that, He made the Levites priests to the people of Israel. God wanted them to just march into Canaan. They said, those guys are too scary. And so they marched around the desert. God wanted Adam and Eve to stay in the garden and they didn't. So next time something happens the way you don't want it to happen, remember that God's with you on that one. Don't go blaming God for stuff like that. Next time the world doesn't work the way you thought it should work, God understands that. Jesus in the garden said, I don't I don't want this to happen, but then went into it anyway. So if God wants things to happen that don't happen, is God all powerful? The answer to that question is, yeah. But God, for the sake of relationship, gets to choose where God is powerful what god does and what this is fantastic power see real power isn't getting everything you want all the time but real power is being to take anything that happens and use it for the good of god you don't you are not going to get what you want all the time but whatever comes your way god can handle when we do the will of god which is worship god and follow jesus and live together in holy Christian community as a church. We live out the will of God. God can handle what chaos throws at us. And hear me; this last part's important for the good of the kingdom of God. So we hear in Romans, right? God works all things together, for those who love him, for his way. God is sovereign, but our relationship with God or our desires with for God and desires of God are not. God can do what God wants to do. God can use what God wants to use. And I've used this analogy before, but I'm going to use it again because I like it. So let's imagine that one of one of your sweet children or one of your grandchildren spills some milk. Our our kids, I don't know when they grow out of just randomly punching things on the table. They just see something beyond it and just reach for it and knock it over. I don't know when that stops. We're not there yet. But if I do not lose my cool, if I say, oh my goodness, okay, get it, paper towel. And come over there and say, uh, "All right, when you when you spill your milk, uh, get get a paper towel. Do it quickly so it doesn't run off the table. We got to get it and corral it, you know. And 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 we work together to clean up the milk. Uh, our relationship gets better if I am good in that moment. But if she were to later then say, you know, Macy were later in her room going, you know." Dad made me spill that milk so we could have that moment. We'd kind of pin that on God sometimes. Like, a death will happen and people will say, you know, if if Nana wouldn't have died, then these two people would have never met. I mean, God wanted... That mediocre marriage to happen so badly that he killed Nana. Don't work backward that way. God, God hates death. God conquered death. God hates illness. Jesus came in and cured it. Jesus showed what it looks like when God gets in the way of illness. The blind can see and the lame can walk. The deaf can hear. God takes care of brokenness where God is. And God has asked that of us as his church to be the people who handle brokenness in the world. And when we look to God and say, God is good, we put no conditions on that. When we look to God and we say, God will save us. What we mean is God will redeem us from death. God will forgive our sins. God will restore our brokenness in the end. But that doesn't mean that every turn and every decision is going to lead to something perfect. God might save us. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods. And we will not worship the golden statue. I don't care what life throws at me. God is God. I don't care what, my, what disease takes over my body. God is God. I don't care what awful thing I'm grieving this day. God is God. Be it known to you, O oh world. That our God can take anything that is thrown at God. And use it for good. I think that's an important way to think about it. Because unless not, if you don't, then God's, things are going to happen. And then you're going to be blaming God for things. And and you're going to wonder, what is God doing here? The best he can with what comes God's way. As Christians, the way we reflect this is important. We do not need to be the people who panic. Something happens, God can handle it. God can use it. Now God may save me, but if God doesn't save me, God can use it. God has used, as we've seen already through the story, some of the most broken people. They've made decisions that God did not like. They've done things that God did not want them to do. But God says, I can deal with this too. And faith, living out, living, living. Faith lived out in practice is a faith that assumes that when brokenness and chaos comes... Comes to me, I can deal with this because God can deal with this. It may be awful, but I am not alone. It may be hard. I may have to grieve it, but I'm not alone. And be it known to you, O oh world, O oh chaos, O oh evil, O oh Satan, that I will not bow down to fear and brokenness. And anxiety. I will know. That God is God. No matter what comes my way. If you want to be in a relationship with God. If you want to let God use you. Which is God using brokenness. If you want to be in a relationship with Jesus. This morning. Please come forward while we stand and sing.